Amen. It's felt like many times we might not hear that kind of thing again. It's wonderful. Thank you, Corey. I want to take just a moment um, and think with you. Um, it typically is a part of the service. We do what we call the passing of the peace which is a time when we've come to, um, a, a time I think that we've come to cherish, but it, 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 it is a kind of outward um, embodiment of the love that we share for one another. And we say, peace be with you, and so on and so forth. Obviously, we can't do that right now. And, and that, is, that is a difficult thing because uh, that's one of the things that we care about very deeply here at DBCC. But, but Paula talked to me, and, and, I, and I like this idea, uh, because it could be that you could come here, basically walk through the door, sit down, and be in the midst of people, but not be really here, if that makes any kind of sense. Um, that we're not somehow collected together. So what I'd like to ask you to do for a moment is to stand up where you are and look around. And you can, you can give people the sign of the peace, make eye contact, but I want you to be seen and I want you to see others as we are together here in this space. Please stand. Peace be with you. You may be seated. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And God will destroy on this holy mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. God will swallow up death forever. And then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of God's people God will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, the word of the Lord. When I was studying for this sermon, you sort of read through the lectionary texts, and just kind of see what, what jumps out at you. And I read through this one, and it really stopped me dead in my tracks, not because the 
imagery is beautiful and compelling because obviously it is. And not because I have to, uh, that I have a soft spot in my heart for Isaiah. I do. And not because it's probably a text that you rarely hear preached on Easter because you probably haven't. And the reason this text struck me as hard as it did can really be explained by one thing, and that is at almost every funeral I've ever officiated, this is one of the passages of Scripture that I've read. This text, as you might imagine, then has some real associations for me. I read it. I read it to you. I ruminate on it in my head, and I have pictures of people for years in my mind. Now, the people who choose the lectionary text, I mean, they couldn't have known that I read this passage during funerals, but you know, there you go. It's here. And somehow I couldn't get past the strange juxtaposition of preaching a funeral text on Easter. See, it really struck me once again just how peculiar these people who follow Jesus, how odd we are. I mean, we find it appropriate to use the same passage of Scripture for funerals and for our highest holy day, a day of joy and celebration. I mean, the, 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 the disjointedness of it, the, the irony shouldn't escape us. And it seems doubly odd since we've just come through the misery of Holy Week, we finally made it to Easter and here I am talking about the stuff Good Friday is made of. Funerals and the deaths that make them necessary. And I, I mean, I can I understand. I can hear it. Come on, preacher. I mean, it's Easter. Aren't you supposed to talk about resurrection or something? And I, I know. I mean, I know. Will Williman recalled the visit of a preacher to his college, the late Carlisle Marnie. Uh, he came and he spoke for Religious Emphasis Week. And one student sort of piped up and asked, Dr. Marnie, uh, can you say a word about uh, the resurrection of the dead? And Dr. Marnie replied, I will not discuss that with people like you. <laughs> and the student said, well, why not? He said, I will not discuss such matters with anyone under 30. <laughs> she said, well, why? And Marnie said, well, look at you. Primal life, potent, never have you known honest-to-God failure, impotency, solid defeat, brick walls, mortality. You probably have never had heartburn before. So what in God's name can you know about the dark world that only makes sense if Christ was raised? See, the problem that Carlisle Marnie addresses is one that we know instinctively. If you want to understand resurrection, you have to come in contact with suffering. Some experience of preparing, of coping with loss. Perhaps until you've stood at the side of the bed of someone you love while they struggled to find strength for one last breath, then maybe the word is resurrection is just an abstraction. 
concept, vague, out there. Until we've spent some time at the foot of the cross weeping with Jesus' mother on Good Friday, then maybe all Easter can mean to us is another excuse to shove our snouts in the consumer trough until we've had our fill of chocolate and frilly frocks and bunnies and hard-boiled eggs. It's impossible to know the joy of Easter without having spent time waiting at the tomb. Because death, as we know, relentlessly pursues us all. Of course, the world we live in invests a great deal in helping us avoid that fact. I mean, we live earnest lives in the hope that our busyness will discourage its advances. We build monuments to ourselves, fortresses of brick and mortar, appropriately landscaped with a, a moat of asphalt that somehow we've often convinced ourselves death will not dare cross to seek us. We pay outrageous sums of money to healthcare professionals in, in hopes that their advanced talents will be enough to outwit our foe. My old professor, Tony Donovan, used to say that if people feared hell as much as death, preachers would be better paid than doctors. We dump even more and more money into something called, interestingly enough, the entertainment industry, <laughs> where our ability to amuse ourselves is just another mass-produced commodity. We manufacture fun. And this industry creates the expectation that being distracted, refusing to think about it, will allow us in some way to avoid death's yellow stare. Exercise, eat plenty of vegetables. So that at the end of the day, maybe we can delude ourselves for just a little bit into thinking that we might cheat the enemy that stalks us. And maybe we can somehow summon eternal life on our own. I mean, we're good at it, at avoiding it, but we know, don't we? That Good Friday, Good Friday is there. It stands as a huge roadblock an obstruction on our way to Easter. And we have to be honest about the fact that death has set up an elaborate apparatus in our world, a complicated system dedicated to keeping the world the way it is, a world where power and violence always trump justice and peace, a world where in the end death finally has its way with us and those whom we love. Isaiah knows it. I mean, he writes in chapter 24, just before our text for today, he says, terror and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. Whoever flees at the sound of the terror shall fall into the pit. Whoever climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. It's pretty grim, isn't it? But that's the way the world works. You, you, you come to terms with it or you don't, but, but that's kind of how it goes. You're born, you live a little, and then you die. 
which feels like a pretty dim vision. And the church, by and large, we've been pretty guilty of avoiding the topic. And I, I mean, it's understandable, really, isn't it? Death makes most of us kind of squeamish. It's, it's awkward and it's painful because of so many people we love We've had to face that struggle. And the church has been reluctant to sort of jump into that game. I mean, if we wanted to hear about all that stuff, we could we just have to turn on CNN. I mean, who needs a church for that? No, I mean, the church, like much of the rest of the world, has almost successfully avoided ever speaking seriously about the claims that death places on us. Now look, I'm not trying to be morbid here, but my job is to tell the truth, even as much as I don't like it. It is, as they say, what it is. Terror and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of earth, is how Isaiah says it. But in our text for today, Isaiah sees a world that is covered by a, a burial shroud, the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all the nations, in the midst of life, we are in death, is how the Book of Common Prayer says it. We are, you and I, on a collision course with this reality. But the bottom line, of course, is that the walls that have been erected are too high to climb over, too thick to topple. And the tears we shed, we shed as much because we know there's no escape in the end for any of us. It's because we shed them for the sadness of the occasion and the losses that we suffer. Terror and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth, Isaiah says, cutting to the heart of the matter. This guy came to the church one time seeking some help, which is not really uncommon here at DBCC, given where we're located in the heart of the highlands. But this guy seemed a little bit different. Um, his name was Morris. He's a refugee from the war in Sierra Leone. A few years ago, he was granted that refugee status by the United Nations, and he was brought to America from a camp in Ghana. And so he told me a story, a story so painful that it brought tears to my crusty eyes. He was born with polio. His village was burned. All his family was killed, except for one sister who still takes her cup of rice in a refugee camp in Ghana. For over 10 years, Morris has been living in a world where death is king, calling all the shots. And death is both the tune and the piper who plays it. But when Morris wanted help, even with all of that swirling around, came to the church. Now somehow, and perhaps only God knows how, Morris has maintained the faith that when death comes calling, it's Jesus that maybe you want to look up, that there's more to this world than death wants us to see. Now Isaiah also seems to think there's more to see. We've lived with a vision of reality that includes the clutching, grasping, irresistible pursuit of death 
not only the death of the body, but the threat of death that makes us hate and, and fight and fear. But Isaiah sees more. Isaiah sees a world where God reigns on a holy mountain. And on this mountain, death no longer calls the shots. You see, our problem, I think, is often a problem of vision. It's difficult to envision a world in which we take death seriously and still profess that the powers death has constructed to hem us in have no ultimate claim on us. We try to avoid talking about death and his minions by talking about everything else, anything. And yet we know it, it's there beneath the surface. We can sense it. We still see a world in which we want the walls we build to look permanent, the judgments we make to look eternal and just. But we're just as divided today as when Peter hesitated to go to the house of Cornelius. Living in a flattened land in which the status of one's immigration documents determines how valuable one is. In which it's acceptable to burn villages and slaughter families. And in which you can be refused service or lose your job or apartment just because of whom you love. We live in a flat land in which much of the world goes to bed hungry each night, while a small minority feels justified in its conspicuous consumption. We live in the flatlands where ruthless competition rules the day, and God help the slow or faint of heart. We live in the flatlands in which black men can be killed by white police officers while the whole world watches. And there's always a question about whether justice will finally be served this time. Even as we live with the fear that once again, it won't be. We live in the flatlands where LGBTQ people must fight to prove they're human beings, worthy of the same rights and considerations that the rest of us take for granted where trans kids have to live in constant fear because they want to play soccer or because they have to go to the bathroom. We live in the flatlands where human beings from other countries are killed by us just because they happen to be from other countries <laughs> and we happen to be from America. We live in the flatlands where our vision of reality is dim and pallid, where death stalks us quietly, clutching us in the deserts of our own dry nights. And with our sightless eyes, it's altogether too easy to see only a flattened landscape. But Isaiah sees a mountain. In the flatlands, hunger and thirst gather at the gates, screaming with the voices of children who die in the cold darkness, lying on concrete floors covered with mylar blankets. But in this, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines strained clear. In the flatlands, funerals mark the end of the string of days, piled one on top of another without meaning or moment, wrapped in the clothes that death gives. But on this mountain, God will destroy the shroud that is cast over all peoples, 
the sheet that is spread over all nations. In the flatlands, death has ravaged us like a wild animal. But on this mountain, the Lord will swallow up death forever. In the flatlands, our tears inch down our faces and evaporate in the dust because it's perfectly acceptable to beat down men because of the color of their skin, to break up families because of the country that they originated in, to close your businesses to people who don't, you don't approve of, to ignore the poor, the sick, the prisoner, the houseless. But on this mountain... The Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces. And the disgrace of all God's people will be wiped off the face of the earth. In the flatlands, a man is beaten and mocked, spit upon and nailed to a tree. But on this mountain, the bloody cross becomes the tree of life, the ultimate cry of God's no to the systems of domination that killed Jesus and so many others. And ultimately, God's cry of yes to all those who felt abandoned, who live with grief. live sometimes only by the barest sliver of hope. On this mountain, a new world is set before us. A world in which everyone has enough, where all people are welcome to the banquet, where the job of children is to sing and play and the elderly live with the confidence that they are treasured and nobody lives on the fringes, hungry, forgotten, and isolated. Not anymore. Not after Easter. That is not the world that we work toward. It just isn't. The world that Easter opens up for us. offers a whole new string of possibilities. It will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We've waited for God so that God might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in God's salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate the podcast on iTunes, retweet the link, or just tell your friends. Godspeed until next time on the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast.